Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, a podcast by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Ron Howard's new documentary, Pavarotti, which examines the life and career of famed opera tenor Luciano Pavarotti. Featuring never-before-seen footage, concert performances, and intimate interviews, the film takes an in-depth look at the lasting legacy of the musical icon affectionately dubbed the People's Tenor. In addition to Pavarotti, Mr. Howard's filmography includes the feature films Splash, Backdraft, Far and Away, the Paper, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and In the Heart of the Sea. The documentary features The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years, and Made in America, and the documentary television series Breakthrough, The Age of Aging. He won the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film in 1996 for Apollo 13, and again in 2002 for A Beautiful Mind, and was nominated for 1985's Cocoon, and 2008's Frost Nixon. Mr. Howard also serves as the second vice president of the Guild. Following the documentary series screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Howard spoke with director Andy Timoner about filming Pavarotti. Listen on for their discussion. I've seen it a bunch of times, but I wanted to see it here, so uh, and it, 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 it's good. It's a good we, we made a good investment. I'm not sure what we did. Do we know? Well, it, it, surround and, okay. and better optics. And, you know, it was always and Chris the best. Chris Nolan was all over it. John Favreau, they were in deep. I was, I was nodding my head and, and <laughs> cheering them on. But they, they really committed a lot of time to trying to get this, to this absolute state of the art. If you're going to go state of the art, Chris Nolan is the guy you yeah, want you supervising you the job. You bet. Um, so Pavarotti. Why Pavarotti? Well, yeah. Well, I, it, the... Um, uh, Nigel Sinclair, who 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 uh, I had worked with uh, on the scripted movie Rush about Formula One racers. I love that film. Uh, th- uh, thank you. Great film. And uh, but he's done a number of, of really interesting, great documentaries, especially music documentaries. <clears throat> and uh, and he 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 saw a, do- a thing that I had an opportunity to do, which was my first uh, experience in the doc world. Uh, just to follow uh, Jay-Z's music festival, you know, the backstage and everything that was going on uh, uh, on this music festival he had called Made in America. And it was the, it was the initial uh, festival that he was curating. I had this opportunity, and I uh, had always been just so intimidated by documentaries, uh, you know, um, uh, a fan... Uh, and I sort of, you know, fantasized a little bit about someday trying to do that because I was always interested in journalism and I, and I really enjoy the research side, uh, of doing scripted, you know, projects based on real events. I love all that. I love history, but I was intimidated and, um, and, uh, this opportunity came my way with a very short window. I had to decide very quickly. Well, I happened to, I'm on the board of the Jacob Burns Film Center. I'm wearing their hat right now. And they're a great group uh, in Westchester County. 
and uh, it's a it's a film society, but they also have a, a lot of learning programs, educational programs, and it's very ambitious, and they're doing great work there, Jacob Burns Film Center. But John, the late, great Jonathan Demme was on the board. He's always been very friendly and very supportive to me. Great documentarian, in addition to, of course, being an award-winning uh, narrative director. And so I took him aside when it was over, and I said, look, Jonathan, I've got this chance to do this. I don't know whether I'm just setting myself up for trouble. You know, I don't want to fail at this, but, but, but what do you think? He said, you know, in his Jonathan Denway, do it, man, come on. Uh, uh, but he, he nailed it. He actually said two things that, abs- that nailed it for me personally. He said, first of all, you're going to love it because you'll be able to use more of, more of your muscles that you've developed than you probably think you'll be able to use. Um, secondly, you know, the documentaries don't go on the same time clock, you know, so you can move back and forth between your scripted project and your documentary project, and you're not shortchanging either. It's going to refresh your thinking. And, and, uh, and he said, but the other thing is, um, you have to go into it believing you know the story, shooting as though you know the story interviewing as though you know the story, but you have to realize you don't. You're going to discover the story as you go. Um, and uh, this is turning into a really long answer. But it's partly what I, re- it's what I really love about it. So I had a good experience on the Jay-Z doc. I found it was right. I put, was able to put a lot of myself I- into this, and, and, and I found it really satisfying creatively, and I learned a lot. Well, Nigel saw it and liked it. And he came to me and said, you know, I think the Beatles are interested in doing uh, – a, a doc just about their touring years. Do you think this would be interesting? I, well, I thought about it. You know, I did a little reading, some listening, um, and uh, I'm not a Beatles fanatic, you know, not encyclopedic about them at all. But I suddenly had this idea. In, with the Jay-Z movie, I had said, well, maybe I'll do it like Nashville, and we'll cover it, you know, the, the festival from a lot of different perspectives and sort of see what it all adds up to thematically. And with this one, suddenly, talking about just the touring years and doing a little bit of reading about it, I said, oh, I think that we should do it like Das Boot. These guys are in this submarine. They're in this bubble. And they're on this journey. And really, all they have is each other. And a lot of stuff's going on out there in the world. But we'll occasionally, we'll cut outside, and we'll see how the submarine's doing. Well, we'll also put into context what the Beatles mean to the world. But really, what we want to do is be on the ride with them. And that was the, that's what I pitched to to the Beatles, and uh, you know, to 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 sort of get that launched. I loved it. I was scared, terrified, but I loved the experience. I was I discovered that not until three weeks before we locked, and one other final interview came in that sort of flipped our whole third act around in an amazing way, and I never would have thought of it. And that what was then, that? Well. There was a there was a a, uh, a date they were supposed to play in in the, in I think it was Jack Jacksonville, Florida, I think, and it was segregated. And when they found out it was segregated, they said, "Well, we're not we're not going to do that." So we had, we had acknowledged that as a fact. We didn't know much more about it. Then this a, a woman named Kitty Oliver um, made herself known to us. Founder, and she was willing to come in and do an interview. And of course, a lot of the interviews, as you know better than anybody, don't even make it in. Um, so you never know what you're going to get. In fact, on the day that we were doing some pickups and stuff, 
with 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 uh, with Ringo Starr here. Um, she came in and did another interview, and she it was very moving and and entertaining and transported us, and it was it was pretty amazing, and and it wound up being you know it really it really brought home what it meant what they had done and for them it was just logic it just is just sort of their sense of what was right which said a lot about the band in a particular way and and it informed a lot of things as it related to them wanting to give up finally i mean or get give up touring so changed changed the whole third act all right so all that we had a great time doing it paul crowder was the editor mark monroe Worked on it as a as a producer and a, and a sort of a, a writer and it, it, we just had a terrific collaboration. Michael Rosenberg from Imagine was deeply involved. There were others on the team. Very a lot of fun for me, and and a great outcome. So so then the question was who else? So this was a little more intentional, and they started talking about subjects, and um, and and uh, and Nigel pitched the idea of Pavarotti, and. Because he was coming up on ten years since his since he, his death, um, and uh, he thought the family, he knew they were doing some things to sort of celebrate that, and he has a foundation, he has a museum, and and he just he just he felt like it might be a good time to tell the story, and we might get the kind of cooperation that we'd need, and we we all we discussed it. Now this was the group kicking it around, and I I said well. I, pro I know even less about opera than I remembered about the Beatles. <laughs> but I might know more about opera than I knew about going to the moon before Apollo 13. <laughs> uh, and let me look at some footage and read. And he was so charismatic. So for me, I, I felt like this was a really interesting opportunity. I've never had a chance to do a musical. But just from watching some of the arias and then actually getting the 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 text to understand you know what what he was singing i thought oh i bet there's a chance we can make an opera about pavarotti using these arias and tell his story because his life is rather operatic in a way and and that would be that would be interesting we could tell his story we can offer some insight into you know the art form and 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 we can we can deal with it structurally in a in a in a in a, in a way that really uses the music um, in an emotional in an emotional way because I you know it's such an, it's such an emotional medium. That's what I was uh, I was going to ask you was you know sometimes these biopics can be as you well know and you've made some great ones Frost Nixon and you know a beautiful mind and uh, and then obviously these documentaries about real people uh, sometimes people make short, you know, like they take a year out of somebody's life or an event or, right. you know, be like a Pollock or something. You, you told the story in opera, right. you told all the colors right. and he had such an incredible life. Yeah. And um, his childhood, it became apparent that his, his, um, his childhood, even though, um, in, in all of his interviews and he was so interviewed, we also realized that we could we could really he could tell most of his own story. The archival and he's immense, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, and he's so charismatic and entertaining to watch, uh, uh, you know, on, on on shows. But his his um, his childhood uh, so informed, you know, much of what he did, and uh, uh, that it was it, it, we felt it was important. And again, in that sort of operatic way, you know, try to make it epic. 
Yeah, and, and also, you know, what, well, actually, I was thinking, what would you have asked him if he was here? Oh, my, oh my Lord. Well, I mean, I, 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 I certainly would have tried to drill down on the relation, relationship with his father. Now, like, there's some interesting things. For example, in the Beatles documentary, uh, there's a thing we could never put in the Beatles documentary because we couldn't get anyone to say it that we learned, which was George Harrison, when they left, when they left, he was 22, 23, when they quit touring. Well, John Lennon had said the bigger than Jesus thing, and the and the they they had refused they they forced them to 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 get rid of the segregation in that concert, and they were burning their records and death threats and so forth. And the other guys weren't taking it very seriously. George Harrison's parents were mortified. So in the documentary, Paul says, you know, George was the first one to speak up. And all we could ever get was that George didn't want to tour anymore. George was being harangued daily, like, why are you out there, son? And we never could get that in the documentary because no one would say it. And, and, um, and we had no way to, you know, to sort, of, to, to sort of get that in there. So if we never really had anything where Pavarotti was really talking about his father. And, you know, he would say, my father, uh, you know, he was a baker, um, and, uh, and, but he was a great tenor. Um, but, you know, we kept hearing things like his, you know, his father had stage fright or something, you know, and things like that. So I would have really liked to drill down on how did it feel like to, to, to sort of uh, achieve the thing that your father didn't? How did your father feel? I would have loved to have that you know, that kind of information. I, I thought of you in, in relation to him in terms of being a performer for much of your life yourself, being on the road so much. Last time I saw you, you were off to do Hell, Hellbilly Elegy. Right. And, you know, when, when I'm thinking, when I'm watching this wonderful film, he's taking his kitchen with him. He's taking his crew out to yeah. dinner. He doesn't like to be alone. Like, how is it for you? What, where, were, where were the points of relationship between you and... I, I, yeah, and you know, he's, he's a, he was a total extrovert. I'm not. He was a natural performer. I'm not. Uh, I love stories, and I and I discovered through the child acting and 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 uh, that uh, um, that I liked being a part of the story. But I also began to see that I wanted to have more control than that, and I and I really you know wanted to tell the uh, the story. So so I I uh, I don't I don't really relate to Pavarotti. I'm more in awe of him. I, I, the, you know, look, he made, he, he, he behaved in ways that I would, ne you know, would never, um, you know, support, uh, I, I think, but I, but I, but the, the spirit, this sort of this, this sort of reaching for uh, life, both in his art and in, and in what he did personally, uh, and then through philanthropy and so forth, it was, was uh, so unlike me. That I kind of wish there, that a bit of that recklessness uh, would rub off. I don't think it will at this stage. I, in my I life. love the story you told of, of Bono. Uh, you know the way that he goes and he collects him with the camera crew and makes friends with the housekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, and he's uh, relentless. There's so many lessons to learn. In I this. also love a Bono. His interview was was amazing. I wasn't mm. there. Nigel had has has known uh, Bono for years, mm. and I was shooting uh, something and couldn't go. 
to do that interview. And I'm so sorry that I couldn't because, uh, I mean, it's a great interview. I mean, we should find a way to put like the whole thing online or something. I think you can just put it online. It's a great, it's a great interview. These days. Uh, the, uh, but he was really giving, um, a gift to the family, but also to fans. And, and, you know, I think probably rather inadvertently letting us know what it means to be a singer and an aging singer too. How do you feel about about his relationship to charity as he as he got older? It seemed like as he got more successful, he felt a real almost a burden, but also responsibility, and also in a way, it was a pleasure for him to be able to provide. Yes. Um, you know how how does that relate to you? How do you relate to that person? Well, I th- I I I, um, I I mean I recognize that, but I it was interesting that that he 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 didn't need a I mean look he'd always done, you know charity performances or this, that, and the other, where he, all, he, all he had to do was show up. He, 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 had, he didn't start taking charge, I think, and, until he had that experience and that exposure uh, to Princess Diana. And um, I, had, I know from one evening where we had a royal screening of um, Apollo 13 and, and, I, and Princess Diana was there, and we were in sort of private conversation long enough that I could see that she 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 was totally committed to this mission of finding ways to change the world, finding ways to support programs that mattered. Uh, and uh, you know, it wasn't a public situation; it was casual chat. And yet, you, it's it's a little bit like you, yeah. I mean, you could see that was her life's work, and I'm sure. Okay. She had that effect on him. She drew him into the Red Cross project, which which uh, there, and and I think he um, loved it, um, and you know, and 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 just as Decon said in the, uh, you know, that he 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 discovered a higher calling, and I think he was kind of searching uh, for something else. You know, it, it, it it's uh, um, I, I think that's that's understandable. In, in, I mean, in 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 some ways, I can't compare it to full-on th- philanthropy because you know it, it it's still commerce to some extent. But for me, getting to delve into the documentary side of things, and I know doing a you know Pavarotti and the Beatles is 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 not, it's not you know uh, socially earth-shattering, but for me. Um, it, I'm finding it very rewarding and fascinating and a great way to to but not only to take advantage of um, imagine entertainment our you know our new executives who are involved in that Justin Wilkes and Sarah Bernstein who are remarkable uh, and this sort of lane that imagine now wants to be in um, but I'm also I'm developing well I'm not developing we're shooting a documentary um, about the the fires and the, the year after the fire in Paradise California uh, and this is one where we really don't know what the story is. We still don't know. You know, I mean, we're still, we're, we have a pretty good idea. We've been following some individuals. It's very powerful. It's very emotional. It gets political in places. Um, it's, um, it, 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 it operates on a, lot of, uh, on a lot of levels. A great team in place working on it. Um, and yet we still have another couple of months to shoot uh, and stories to follow. And, um, you know, and we're still, we're still, we're still finding it, but I love what it's about. 
and um, and I'm finding it, you know, it, simulating and rewarding, and I'm learning a lot working on it. It's, it, it, you know, you've touched on many aspects of this question, but that brings me to this: um, the difference between doc and scripted, and uh, and for you, you know, it is yes, it's but the reason I wanted to play Pavarotti here, I wanted to bring it to the DGA, is because it is like an ode to artists, and in a way it really looks at the intersection between the personal and the public life and the challenges of balancing your life as an artist. Um, and I guess that's how you open the film. You open the film with Nicoletta saying, I was interested in Pavarotti the man. Right. And you know, what did you find? I guess I have two questions here. One, for you, it seems like you're really turned on by making documentaries, uh, the the learning, not the not knowing, I guess, yeah. not knowing if you're going to make the high C, right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, the is, deep dive, the ex, you know, that kind of exploration, and it's also but this this has the power to change lives. Well, you know, well, it, I wanted my I son to inspires. come to to, to well, thank you. learn about thank being you. an artist. You know, well, you know uh, far better than I do, but uh, the what's fascinating, and now that you're now that you're uh, directing scripted as well. You know, it's what's interesting is um, how I, I mean, I did talk about there are some limitations built in. You have to be able to you have to be able to get somebody to say it or find the image or the interview or something uh, unless you're unless you're you know, unless you're the voice, unless you're doing the narration. And then 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 you then you then you're free and available. I uh, discovered that once uh, um, yeah. we live in public. I yeah. was like, I'm available. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can just walk outside you, the uh, right. And but you. You know, but you can say what you want to say, and then then it's your editorial, basically. That's what you're doing. Um, but it's very interesting uh, to tr to uh, identify, and this is where you know an editor like Paul Crowder is so gifted to identify an idea and not quite have it, but find a way to suggest it. Um, and I'm finding myself uh, now staging scenes and shooting them a little bit differently to try to. Think about working that way as opposed to just getting somebody to say the line of exposition. So it's a, it's impacting your your scripted I, work. I really think it. I really think it is. But the that's the, really interesting. But the one thing that I did find, and that I and 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 it is, it's given me a, you know um, a little more confidence with every film, is that um, my inset my instincts about um, uh, sort of really finding the story. Uh, which is really only ever happens in post. You try your best at the script stage. You do everything you can when you're shooting to try to to be thorough and and delve into the ideas and get the get the shots and the performances that'll help tell that story. But you you really don't know until you put it together and start looking show, looking at it yourself and showing it to others and really finding out you know the way that this film communicates with others. And then you get into that. Next, very important level of work, which is all right. Well, how do we how do we discover what it is and maximize that? Um, and um, whatever I might have thought it was before, uh, you know, what is it really, and what can it really be? And I find that that applies to the doc process beautifully. Uh, it's it's sort of a heightened version. But all my documentarian uh, uh, collaborators on all this. Like we're, we were looking at a bunch of footage for um, rebuilding Paradise, which is the name of the, the stock, and you know, some amazing stuff, some emotional stuff. But we don't really know what the story is yet. And I'm kind of, you know, we're three quarters of the way through. 
I'm kind of looking at everybody, and they're crying, they're beaming, they're happy. And I said, yeah, but do we know how, like, what the third act's going to be? No, no, we don't know that. <laughs> but, it, it's, but it's going to be great. And they just have this total trust uh, in that and, and in, in the ideas and just sort of the spirit of it that's going to, and they're going to they're gonna find that way. And that's, um, that's great. That's a different kind of, a particular kind of high wire act. All these art forms, every process has the high wire. It really does. Um, it's about that. It's about taking those chances, like he took, and I mean, right. doing a recital instead of an opera, and or, just or, loving that. And then, or knowing the, he can't, he's not sure he can hit the he high C. The high C. He's nine yeah. of them in a show, and he never once is he sure that he's going to make any. Yeah. He knows what might, but he knows the elements to put in right. And that's I was my 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 next question was about trust. Yeah. Um, it's he said he would not exist without it. How do yeah. you handle that? You have been through so many films and so many different teams, and here you are stepping into this new realm. And oh. I, I've worked with Mark. I've worked with Paul. They're fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, collaborators. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's not the same thing as Brian Grazer, who you've been with your entire career. Yeah. Um, tell me about and trust for your actors. Tell me about your relationship to trust, not only in others, but in yourself. Well, the there is, I mean, I've grown up with the with a, with a kind of process. Now, the doc process is quite different, um, but mostly it's, it's kind of like post production, uh, you know, and some some planning and shooting, uh, but uh, uh, but 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 mostly, you know, it's about what you're going to do in the in the yeah. editing room, unless it's a field documentary where you're out, you know, trying to get get the interview under duress or something, you know. You always actually have to. I always say 70% is in the field and 70% in the, because docs are so hard. Yeah. So it's about 140 or yeah. whatever. I don't know the math, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, because, but, you know, I'm, I'm most comfortable. There are two places where I really feel at ease. And, and uh, one's at home uh, with Cheryl and the gang. And, and the other's on a set. Or working on this stuff, so I do trust the people, especially the people who are of the caliber that I'm, uh, you know, have the good fortune of being able to work with. I'm, uh, um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm excited f for what the collaboration can yield, and yes, I do trust that um, they're going to accept accept my role uh, in all of it um, in the in the process. But they also can see that I'm very eager um, to, to try to draw the best out of them. And that's been the kind of equilibrium that I've, as a director, um, that, I've, uh, that I've, I've, I've tried to establish and live by. It's not, it's not perfect. Um, you know, feathers get ruffled. People get mad. Things Sometimes people get fired. Um, but um, not very often. M mostly... Um, I, I feel like I, 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 if somebody's sort of excited and engaged, we're going to be able to work together, and that's about that's about all it all it takes. And I feed, and frankly, feed off the differences. I benefit from it. So as much as I love working with people that I have a, a shorthand with and a, and, a, and, a, and a relationship with, it's also very very good for me to be in a situation where it's a, a creative dialogue with people who we don't have a shorthand. We have to really sit down and talk it through, and that's useful. And it's also an interesting, I meant also in trust in yourself, because it is such a different process, you know, to uh, let the film speak, to not know what the third act is yeah. so deep into the game, you know? And I use the same, pro a similar process, and, and by the way, again, I just can't say enough about Nigel 
Paul, Mark. I mean, they're teaching me so much. Also, Justin and Sarah now at Imagine. I love so, those two. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying working in this field, but I'm also, I'm also learning a hell of a lot from people who've dedicated years and years to this as a discipline. And I trust that. Mm -hmm. I trust that. I trust them to take from me what I can offer, but also to just make sure we, we, we give this subject in the film um, every, everything that it, uh, uh, that, you know, that it really needs and, uh, uh, and deserves. But it, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's, inc it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, it's just an interesting relationship as a director between putting, putting what you know you should put into a film or asking that question or pushing for that one element and then stepping out of the way and letting the material speak. Yes. Speak, you know, uh, it's almost like this ease you have to allow in. Whatever it is, I think you have to finally let the, you have to let the, the film, the TV show, or the documentary finally speak to you. And one, there's one thing that I do with the docs that I also do with, with, with all of my scripted uh, projects, uh, and I've always been very rigorous about this, is um, I, I, I do a lot, I screen it a lot, and I screen it for people, and I, I get people to fill out questionnaires. And I, I list the scenes and I ask them to evaluate individual scenes. And it's pretty rigorous what I put people through. And, and, uh, uh, and, um, and they don't get paid anything uh, for that. But it's great. And I've, I just experimented with it. Um, I didn't do it on the first documentary, but I did it with the Beatles. Really helped. Helps a lot. Did it again on Pavarotti. And, and that's where you begin to understand the film now you're beginning to understand how is the film talking to the audience, really talking to the audience, and what are they getting out of it? And how can you reconcile the ideas that you were hoping to express versus what, what really is landing? When should you abandon what you were, you know, your initial instinct told you was vitally important? Or when should you go back and shore that up and see if you can actually, you know, get, make it, make something make it, of it yeah. land with the audience? Yeah. Totally. What did you let go of? What did you leave? What you leave us blind uh, to in Pavarotti? What did you discover that we don't see on screen? Well, there's. N I mean, again, I was most interested in this in the in this in the the stuff with the father. I the the, the greatest rawest thing that that we got were the were the interviews with the family, and um and and we have the best of that. We didn't leave. We didn't leave anything behind there. They, um, uh, but I thought they were very brave because the feelings are still kind of raw. Um, they get along with Nicoletta. Nicoletta gets along with them. They all have this thing in common, which is the legacy. Um, but, but you know, they don't. They're private. Um, uh, Adwa and the girls didn't don't really want to be out there, um, and and uh, uh, and yet w we. There, there have been a number of, you know, good, solid documentaries that just hand, sort of lo looked at his professional life. But to, to, to make it a journey, to give it that depth, to the, the, the sort of the, the, um, the excitement and also the price, the toll uh, on the artist, of, you know, and their loved ones of the journey, we, we really needed them to be willing to talk to us and talk to us openly. And they really did. And they, the, all their interviews were done um, in different places, like not, they weren't all in the same house doing it, listening to each other's interviews. And it was so um, powerful. Um, and I don't, I, I didn't know 
I didn't know that they the way they'd all rallied around the you know the deathbed and that and that and that you know that Madeline had come to and I none of that that all that all just sort of emerged because yeah. that wasn't written about or explained um, to us but you know the Ottawa saying you know time kind of heals in a way uh, was is I think I think she gave us all a bit of a gift there understanding how that was incredible you know without forgetting there's forgiveness uh, a demonstration of it she even called him a great man yeah um yeah and i think that was something you know and we can leave on this note because they're telling us we have to leave oh, we okay. can't stay forever but um uh just that he really he meant you know despite his flaws and i and i love a, a film that shows the flaws but also just shows what an incredible man, you know, to make everyone feel so loved, to sing the aria to the parents, you know, to make and even his wife, who he was so unfaithful to for so long, uh, for her to to feel that he was really an extraordinary person and she loved him dearly and offered him spaghetti on his deathbed, you know. Yeah. Um, should we all should live such a life? Well, and we his can. daughters coming. I mean, we had we did about mm, I think fifty three interviews. I'm not sure how many are in the film. Maybe twenty five or thirty. Um, but very interesting because people were, you know, w willing to acknowledge the warts, but to a person, it they were they wanted to be there and celebrating him. They wanted and they wanted to express their appreciation for having had a relationship with him, even if at some point they'd been frustrated, disappointed, or felt, uh, you know, let down. The majority don't feel that way. Only you know, it's not like he left a trail of tears. Um, most people just had nothing but but adoration. But on the personal side, the family, there was there was pain, you know, and Madeline and others. And it opens with him acknowledging, or actually, is it towards the end that he says, you know, I just, I guess I was I was a better parent. Yeah, I wish I was a little bit more there for well, the family. And well, that was the that was another gift. That was the most, you know, that's the most frank moment. Yeah. that you get with Pavarotti, because otherwise these are all t TV interviews, mm -hmm. you know, and he's... he's Such intimate footage. She gave you everything, Nicoletta? Yeah. How much, like hours? Well, it wasn't hours and hours, but I mean, it was... But Very it was powerful. A lot. And uh, uh, I mean, but those testimonials, I mean, that her actually, you know, interviewing him and the sound was terrible. Chris Jenkins, the mixer, did a fantastic uh, job with the film. I've worked with him many times uh, and uh, and he he did a great job of... Of, um, of of digging out the sound, especially in some of these these old home uh, videos, worn out videos. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, another thing I'm struck by is him acknowledging, or uh, towards the end, you say that he never listened to his own work, yeah, and well, he didn't. He said, "I sang all, I sang that okay yeah. to his daughter." Well, that's that perfectionism, you <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, striving. I, th I think he always he expect a lot of himself because. Um, here, and here's one thing I relate to. You, I don't relate to him very much. Here's here's something. He he really respected the art form, and he was willing to work and work and work to live up to um, what what he thought the art form and the audiences who appreciated it deserved. And um, and he was always humble about that. I mean, at the same time, he, you know, he knew he'd what he'd achieved, but he. You know, like he said to old Tony Randall, it's never good enough. It's never, it's, I, I'm never happy. And I, and that's by all accounts true. Um, the, uh, um, he, he was driven. He was driven. I think he felt blessed, um, as, as Nicoletta said at one point, um, 
to, to have had the opportunity to achieve this through, you know, in opera. Um, but I, he never fully, um, he didn't, th he, he, he never felt entitled around it. Um, I think there was a period, a pretty long period, where he was, when we mention it, he was canceling a lot. And, and that was that, that's that sort of period, you know, where, where we used the Pagliacci, you know, the, the sad clown uh, aria to sort of demonstrate where he was, that he was kind of stuck in this, this odd place. And I think the philanthropy, and then later I think the love with Nicoletta uh, really gave him a, you know, uh, um, a, a reason to want to matter, to continue to matter. Yeah, well, there is that, you know, there is that uh, interplay always as an artist where you kind of have to, you might have a bad day and you have to go on set and pretend, or you don't know really in the moment and you have to decide whether you're going to admit that or not. And he said, how can I pretend, you know, but he did. Well, there were a or number of the arias that, that um, going back to my original hope that we could sort of do an opera about Pavarotti using the arias, uh, and there were, what we found is there were, there were a number of strong performances of specific arias, but what, what, uh, what we all began to see was um, this possibility of choosing the performance where he was roughly the age where he was going through a particular thing that, um, you know, that the, the aria might reflect in his personal life. And um, by doing that, I, I felt, and in watching some of these close-ups, and you got to thank some of these live TV directors. I mean, my God, some of this coverage is just tremendous. But, um, I mean, looking at it, there are a number of times when going through the footage with Paul and, and everybody, I would say, look, as somebody who directs performances, I feel like in that one, he's in it. I think he's, I think he's all the way in it. And usually those were the times when he was roughly the age where whatever he's singing about, you know, was probably resonating with him on a slightly more personal uh, level. Bono says, Bono says, when, if it's all the truth of his life is in the cracks in the voice, yeah. Yeah. that's not bad. I'm, I, I have to wrap up, but I have to thank you for making this beautiful for film. Coming, and everybody. Thank Appreciate you for sharing all of your you. insights, Thanks. Ron. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. You can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.